Hello, everybody. We are Ken and Lisa Henderson. We'd like to welcome you to the Faith Works Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. We are going to be looking into the lives of ordinary people, and we'll be examining how faith in God is working in their lives and how it will work in yours. We are very excited to bring you testimonies, release prophetic words, and examine Scripture, which will cause your faith in Jesus Christ to grow. Thanks again for joining our conversation. Welcome to the Faith Works Podcast. Hey, we're happy to have Krista Elisha here with us today, and we're just going to invite her to tell her story to you. Hey, welcome back to Faith Works Podcast. We're so excited to have you tuning in today. We have Krista Elisha with us again today, and we're missing Ken, but he will be back with us next week. But Krista's going to be picking up and sharing more of her story and that gap that's in between you know there's always a gap people don't see they don't see they see where you are and where God is blessing so oftentimes people see where you are today in your life and they see you know a measure of success and you know just that they see the anointing they see the way God's using you and they think oh I you know I want that and I want what she has and what that anointing they don't realize that one the price that's paid for that anointing and nor do they realize the backstory and what you had to walk through or what you did walk through between the prophetic vision you had which if you didn't if you didn't if you're jumping in on the podcast right now then you'll have to listen to last week but the prophetic vision you had about your destiny and then you actually walk in your destiny out yeah. So, um, yeah, as a child, I, I had encounters with, uh, with Jesus and him telling me that I was, uh, going to be a fisher of men. Um, and you know, all these big words over my life and even words that my mom spoke over me and, and others spoke over me. Um, and, as a child, I was totally in love with Jesus. He was my best friend. Just, I walked with him, talked with him all day long. Um, you know, some, some kids have imaginary friends, but I had the Holy Spirit and, um, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. (laughs) And, and, uh, but something happened and that was, you know, whenever, a person receives a prophetic word for their destiny. Um, that person then receives a mark uh, by the enemy. To uh, there, there is warfare. You become a target. Yes, um, you do become a target. And I don't say that to to scare people because we have been made overcomers um, by the blood of the Lamb. Right. So um, it's not to scare people, but there is a there is a process that you and a war that you have to go through. And, um, I just thank God for his grace being sufficient and his hand being on my life. Um, even when I was running away from him and, and that was really, you know, my biggest issue. Um, uh, after that, when I was around, uh, six years old, I started being sexually abused and, um, that really fractured my personality. Um, 
it it was, uh, you know, Jesus had marked me to be a person of intimacy. And when a child or anybody uh, goes through especially sexual abuse, it causes you to shut down uh, your ability to, to be open and to be intimate with other people. And I feel like there, that's why there's one of the reasons why there's such an attack on, um, on sexuality in the day that we're living in, because, you know, God is calling a, a generation of people to be the bride of Christ, the most intimate people with him. And um, we are so shut down and locked away and um, in, in pain within our own souls you know, we run away from anything that's uncomfortable in order to protect ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, so I went through that and, um, it was, how long, how, what, how long did that last? That, um, it was, it it actually was by a family member and it was ongoing off and on until I was a teenager. And, um, so, there was a lot of circumstances around that also that I, I'm not going to get into just to honor people in my family. Um, but to make a long story short, you know, when things are done in generations and the, the generation that is dealing with the issue was taught by the generation previously to just sweep it under the rug. Let's pretend like it didn't happen, you know, because they are so afraid of what might happen when it all gets brought to the light, right. you know. Um, fear is driving, you know, your de- decisions. And um, I, I think that with my parents, they when they found out about the abuse, they were hoping that I was young enough that I would forget about it. But instead, was it opened up opportunities for it to happen again. And because the Lord had marked me to be you know, a person of intimacy and, um, my, I'm a lover. My, my whole, everything with Jesus is all about love and, and romance and, and intimacy, um, being his bride and being, um, you know, the bride of Christ, but a daughter of God, the father. And, um, it's, that became a theme, an overarching theme in my life, um, where I, was a target for being sexually abused over and over and over again. Um, and it was totally demonic and aberrant and it wasn't just by one person. It was by all sorts of different people. Um, I'm glad you pointed that out because if we have someone listening, I want to make it clear that while you went through these things, that was not God's design for you to walk through that. God did not design for you to be molested. Right. It was demonic. Yes. And that was demonically driven. And any time we're given a word, and this is, again, not to cause you fear, but the enemy hears the prophetic word that goes forth over your life, and he is a thief. The Bible says that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So he sets out immediately to still and kill that word before you have the chance to reach your destiny. So there's a lot of contending and warfare often that goes on over a person's life, especially if they have a large destiny. Yeah. And I think, too, there were other things in my life that um, 
were not even my fault that, or, or my parents' immediate fault that opened up access for the enemy to have legal rights over us. And, um, one of those things, my, my grandfather who has passed on, he was a Mason and a lot of people don't realize this, but I know because I'm from a family of it and I spent the better part of my, my earlier parts of my salvation when I came back to the Lord, breaking bloodline curses off of not just me, but my, my land, my family, my children, um, because there are secret rituals and, yes. and vows that they go through where they actually make a vow to sell their descendants into bondage, their souls into bondage, um, if they break these vows. Right. Um, it's totally demonic. Um, and they use, uh, they use scripture as a cover-up. Um but they worship like Egyptian gods. I mean, I know I've, I've been through it and I can actually, Lisa, my, my parents had six living children and I can tell you which ritual my grandfather was going through his next right to move up in the Masons by what curse came upon one of my siblings. And it's all the plagues of Egypt. Uh, my older brother, um, he even he was the first born male and he out of nowhere perfectly healthy baby was 18 months old and suddenly died of sudden infant death syndrome but was resuscitated and um so he survived but he had brain damage wow and so even though he was perfectly normal baby with Babies at 18 months don't generally suffer from SIDS. So um, it was just a total, you know, you knew. And my mom and dad, they had like a encounter with a demon at the hospital when they were about to pull the plug on him. All the doctors said he was brain dead and they prayed and, and offered him to God, said he belongs to you if you will spare his life. And they saw a, uh, a, a generational demon that had been assigned to destroy our family. And, uh, it flew out of the chapel that they were in. And the next morning they, uh, took my brother off of life support and he began to breathe and and move on his own. And, uh, so that was a total miracle that the Lord spared my brother. But so, I mean, there were other things at play here. There was a, a, a generational stronghold of witchcraft and rebellion and, um, and other things that were just bloodline, you know, iniquity and stuff, uh, that, I had to come out of agreement with on my own when I gave my life back to the Lord. But, um, so yeah, so overarching, uh, just marked by gross sexual assault, um, over and over and over again. And when I was, uh, 12 years old, um, and I was still going to church, I was still in love with Jesus. Um, I ended up being assaulted again. And, uh, this time I had got pregnant, but I didn't even know how to get pregnant. Um, so my mom knew that I was pregnant and I remember she gave me a, a pregnancy test and I was like, what is this? And I took it and she told me, and I had no idea. Um, you know, I, I was so, so innocent and, and ignorant of everything. And, um, I remember somebody came to me and they offered to take me to go have an abortion. 
And I remember being in my room and, and, you know, writing in my little prayer closet. I had a closet that I would pray in, uh, even at 12. And I was telling Jesus, well, Jesus, if your mother, if Mary had you when she was 15, then I can have this baby at 12. And, um, you know, it's not the baby's fault and use of babies are gifts. So I don't know how I'll do this, but, you know, I know that, that you're, you know, that we'll be all right. And because I knew that abortion was wrong. And um, what ended up happening was uh, I ended up having a stillborn. And so at 13, um, I ended up having a stillborn baby boy and I named him Gabriel. And um, it was the first time I ever dealt with childbirth, the first time that I ever dealt with death. Nobody had ever died before in my life. And I actually ended up burying him in my baby blanket that I had I had still been sucking my thumb and sleeping with. Um, and I buried him in that. And I remember, um, you know, I didn't know how to... One, I had, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, severe grief, you know... Um, had no place where I felt safe because if I wasn't, you know, being abused at home, I was being, I would be abused when I left the house. Um, and there was nowhere I could run to. And I I remember being in the hospital, um, that last day when I had Gabriel and just sitting on the edge of my bed and, and being like, God, you know, I thought that I did everything that I was supposed to do. I thought that I, I was making the right choice. How could you let this happen to me? So not only did I realize during the process of being pregnant and having to go to the gynecologist and all of this that I had been actually being sexually abused for years um, and didn't understand what was happening to me, um, but dealing with the guilt and the shame That was attached to it. Yeah. Um, But also realizing that I didn't have a safe place and that so as a if you're listening for our listeners sake you were 13 now yeah I had him when I was 13 so I got pregnant when I was 12 and had given birth at 13 which I have a I have a 16 year old daughter and she is a baby and I can't my son is 10 so I look at him and look at, you know, a, a child that's two years older and I can't even imagine, you know what I mean? And, um, I just remember being like, God, I just don't understand why you, how you could let all this happen to me. Where are you? And, um, I opened up the drawer in the little dresser beside my Bed and there was a Gideon's Bible in there, and I hadn't looked in the whole time I was there. But I opened the Bible up to just a random page, and it said it fell on one of the three passages that talks about Gabriel. And it said, um, it was actually Gabriel announcing who he was to Mary and saying, You know, you're gonna bear a son, blessed are you among women. And I knew that God was giving me a promise in that moment, but I was so overcome with just pain that, um, and I remember that there was, um, a moment where my natural father, he walked into the hospital room and my sister showed him, um, Gabriel's little baby, little handprints. 
And for the first time in my life, I saw my dad cry. And when he began to cry, he covered his face and he turned around and he immediately walked out of the room. And at that moment, the enemy implanted a lie into my heart, which was um, intimacy is shameful and it breaks you break your father's heart. And in your moment when you need him, he is going to turn his face from you and he's going to walk out the door. Oh, my goodness. And um, that translated onto my relationship with God, that God had seen what had happened to me and and he, he had turned his face from me and he had abandoned me when I needed him the most. And I know that my natural father, that wasn't what was really happening. It was that he was in so much pain himself that he did not want to upset me more by allowing me to see him break down because I know he went in the hallway and he sobbed. Um, But the enemy used that to plant these lies. And so I just ran away from God, Um, ran away from God. I, you know, lots of people, when they start doing drugs, it's because somebody like, you know, offered them drugs. I started doing drugs because I actually sought them out because I knew that they could change the way that I felt. And um, I had several uh, failed suicide attempts before I was even 16 years old. Um, So I figured, well, you know, um, I'll just do drugs then if I can't kill myself. You know, maybe I'll OD. (laughs) And um, And most most drug abuse, 90% of drug abuse and alcohol abuse is done by, but especially drug abuse, by people who have been molested. Yes. So it's a symptom of pain that they're trying to cope with or self-medicate. That is such a high statistic of 90% of addicts or drug drug abusers Mm -hmm. have been molested as children, and most of them have carried it around and not talked about it, and they're, they're trying to figure out a way to handle the pain. Right. Yeah. And it's not just, it usually, in some cases, it's not just that, you know, they were violated. Um, you know, the Lord has taught me so much about, um, about holy sexuality and about how, uh, really, you know, our most private parts are an extension or a connector point with our heart, our innermost being. Um, but it's not just that our hearts were violated. It's that, um, usually the, the people that are closest to us did not protect us or they were the ones doing the, the atrocity, you know, and, um, when they were supposed to be the ones that were protecting us, there's always other people that are involved. And so it's not just dealing with the pain of, yeah, this happened to me and how could you know, somebody do that, but it's dealing with the pain of having to recognize that even the people in your life that you loved, um, didn't step in to protect you oftentimes, or were even a part of it, um, by their non-action. And, and that's very, uh, painful as well. So, yeah. Um, and again, that can be projected onto the heavenly father. Yes, often. Absolutely. Where where were you? Why didn't you protect me? You could, you're, if you're God, you're so big, you're so powerful. Yeah. Why didn't you step in? Why did you allow this? Yeah. 
And that was um, very hard for, for me to reconcile. And see, the thing that I didn't know, Lisa, was that we are in a cosmic battle. And we have had this teaching in the church that's been you know, passed down from the Middle Ages that has essentially, if I could be so bold as to say, it's castrated the church of its power, um, that has caused us to believe that we're in this uh, divine blueprint. And when I say that, I mean where God is the orchestrator of all things, including even the things that are evil and are really orchestrated by the enemy. And so God actually will allow disease. He'll allow uh, child abuse. He'll allow all these terrible things because some how um, he is a bipolar entity working in the sky and working all things out according to whatever he wants. But that's a lie. We are in a cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And there is a real devil, a real enemy who is sent to kill, steal, and destroy. He restored everything that was lost in the garden of Eden. So God created man and woman and he gave them dominion to rule over the earth. It was always in God's design that man would have partnership with God and ruling and reigning over creation. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they handed that over to the enemy. And so the enemy became the one who had dominion until Jesus showed up on the scene. And Jesus died and we, in him through faith, um, we have been given back all of our lost authority to rule and to reign. And so we see these atrocities and these injustices happen in our life because Christians are not taking their rightful place at the gates of society, at the gates of hell and saying, no, this is not going to pass. This is not going to enter my city. You know, no more. We're not. And so we have this obligation as believers to protect the widows and the orphans and those who don't have a voice, the helpless. That is what Jesus has called us to do. And because we have, you know, lived in a culture where these shameful things are hidden and they been swept under the rug and, you know, the church is, oh, well, there's a separation between church and state. Now we have this huge gap between, you know, uh, we're having evil people make, uh, rulings and laws based on their evil ideologies and there's no justice in the land because we have not taken our place. And so, um, and not just in our rightful place and, and, and spheres of government and cultural influence and, and in prayer, whatever, but not even taking our place in our families, not taking our place in our own roles as being believers, just sitting idly by and saying, no, it's okay if this goes on in my family. Um, or, well, I don't want to hurt this person. I don't want to hurt that one. But then, you know, we have these, these people who are, you know, they are predators and because they're not being, uh, you know, justice is not being served, then you are creating all this space for them to create more and more victims. And, um, who often grow up to be predators. Yes. And then, and, and then it's a whole, you know, it's just a mess and you have, uh, 
then they're 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 the ones that are making the laws and these high I mean it's just it's it's crazy. We need to stand up and we need to be a voice and we need to, you know, in the place of prayer and fasting, but also in our homes, asking God, you know, why is it that that psychics and mediums are working with police officers to find missing children and bodies? Where are the prophets? Where are the, where are the people of God, um, you know, that are, are standing at, you know, in, in the gap to intercede. Um, that's, that's our job. And, um, so for, for me, that was, I did not understand that reality. I believed that God had allowed these evil things to happen to me. Um, and it totally warped my perception of God, of my family, of myself. And, um, I just ran. And what's really, uh, different about my story is that there was no possible way I could deny that God was real, that Jesus was real because I had been walking with him ever since I was a child. I just didn't believe that he was good anymore and I could and I didn't trust him because of lies. So I ended up uh, getting my gifts hijacked by the enemy and ended up getting into all sorts of witchcraft and demonic stuff. Um, by the time I was 16, I had gotten pregnant two more times and I had had uh, two abortions. And that wasn't because, you know, I was evil. My heart was wicked and it was dark. I'm not going to lie. But I ended up making those decisions because of fear. And, you know, specifically the fear, oh, well, you lost your your first child. Like, what's the point in getting attached to this one? It's going to die too. Or uh, your your parents are already ashamed of you and you're living in and out of institutions and psych wards as a teenager. Do you really think that uh, this is going to help you at all or you're, they're ever going to want to see you again? Um, the last abortion I had, um, I was 16 and uh, my boyfriend at the time was a, a DJ from, from Indiana and I got really heavy into the the club drug scene and the rave scene and um, was doing all sorts of crazy stuff there. And um, I, had, I had been on drugs. Um, so he convinced me that I needed to have an abortion. I was terrified. So um, specifically, you know, he, I had him and other people telling me that the baby would be deformed because I had been on drugs and stuff. And um, so he took me to Chicago to have a um, an abortion without a without parental consent, um, so I could hide it from my parents. And you know, I remember like on the way there, everything was you know fine and seemed okay. And I remember getting to the clinic, and there was this woman who was standing outside with a sign, and I knew she was a Christian. I could just see it like by the spirit. And um, so that gives still operating. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I remember making eye contact with her, and um, she lightly touched my hand, and she said, "Honey, you don't have to do this." And for a moment, I wanted to believe her. I really did. Um, and my boyfriend at the time, who I'm sure had company. That's what I call it. But, you know, we call him, um, 
critters. Um, critters, yeah. yeah. Not that I didn't have any at the time, but he he definitely did. His his nickname was the Witch Doctor. Wow. Um, he got in her face, and he's like, "Yes, she does." And he drug me into the clinic, and it was a nightmare. They put me. I mean, I felt like a pig on a butchering block. You've got to be kidding. Um, they. Uh, I remember sitting there and the lady didn't have the monitor turned all the way towards her and I saw a little bleep on the screen and I knew that that was like a heartbeat because I had been pregnant with Gabriel and had went to the doctor and stuff and she immediately when she saw me like looking at it she turned the screen around so I couldn't see it and um, was very short and rude with me. And I asked her if I could see it, and she refused. Um, and then very quickly, they moved me into another room and, um, you know, used the suction procedure, and um, it was terrible. And you just, you you lay there, and you're, like, wanting to scream. You're knowing that, like, you're making the worst decision of your life, and... Um, it feels like you're literally any any goodness in you at all is just being ripped away. And um, the pro-choice movement does a very good job of telling women um, why it's their right um, to do these things, but they don't tell the consequences. Right. And... Um, you know, I'm a baby. I'm 16 years old. No parents there. These doctors and nurses knew that. They um, finished the procedure, rolled me into another room, laid me on literally on like a metal table, and I was I was hemorrhaging. And um, I'm looking down the line at all these other women that are lined up with me that are just laying there crying, or they're just out of it, and there's blood, you know, on their, um, drapes. And, uh, one woman is sitting there in in a wheelchair down there waiting for anesthesia to wear off and she's vomiting in a bucket and there's no dignity. There's no care. And, um, there you go. That's it. And, um, it didn't even give me any time to really recuperate before they had me out the door. And, um, my, boyfriend drives me all the way back down to Ohio and he drops me off and says, I never want to see you again. And, um, yeah, so that, that is a reality. I mean, if you, lots of times we look at the number of abortions that are taking place that have taken place in our country and we see the babies that are dying, but we don't see the the hundreds of thousands of traumatized little girls that right. um you know because if you think about it like there was sexual abuse happening <laughs> and um it was being covered up and nobody cared nobody asked me how old is your boyfriend why is he 21 and you're 16 you know um the these abortion clinics that was planned parenthood by the way nice they are on the front lines of sexual assault victims that are minors and they don't ask any questions because they're getting paid for things that are happening 
behind the scenes and it's sickening. And, um, I, so fast forward after multiple suicide attempts, years in and out of institutions, absolutely hating myself. Um, you know, I ended up getting pregnant, uh, with my daughter when I was 18 and, um, I had actually had an overdose and was left by quote unquote friends to die because they didn't want to get in trouble. And instead God, he, I believe he supernaturally spared my life. And, um, I, I got away from that scene for a while and got clean. And I remember I had a terrible allergic reaction and ended up in the hospital and they drew my blood and, and found out I was pregnant. And, um, this time they showed me the sonogram. Lisa and I are excited to tell you that we're developing a new network. It's called CGM Network. That is Cornerstone Global Ministries Network and Cornerstone Global Media, actually. And so it's going to be on different devices such as Apple TV. It'll be on Android TV, Fire TV, Roku, and all your mobile devices. And check, you can check it out on our website. And it's being built out right now. And as soon as it's out, we'll get in contact with you and let you know that it is coming. Uh, we're also going to have audio channels so we can continue. You can uh, continue to listen to the podcast here or other audio productions. Also, we're looking for content providers who want to be on a network that's going worldwide. There's five regions of the world, and we're going to be in every one of them. So we're going to be spreading the gospel around the world. God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for listening to the Faith Works Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to visit us at cornerstonegm.org for books, blogs, movies, and spiritual growth. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Lisa Henderson, and that's Lisa L-E-S-A, and at Ken Henderson, or you can follow our ministries at My Salt Life Church and at Cornerstone Global M. See you next week.